Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Discipio Cubs podcast. I'm Andy, and joining me tonight is um, Sam isn't here, so no Sam. Uh, Kyle, no, he's not here either. And Mike, no, Mike's still in rehab. Mike's been uh, in and out of Betty Ford more times than Gerald. But I'm bump. So anyway, what you're going to get for the first time ever in six seasons of this thing is uh, Solo, a podcast story. You're only going to get me. But honestly, aren't I the reason that you tune into this thing anyway? So I don't expect this is going to be a super long podcast, but I've actually got some things to talk about. And I don't have to talk over all those other guys this time. I can say whatever I want, which is probably bad for all of us. So anyway, as I'm recording this, the... Uh, the Cubs are finishing up the three-game series with the Reds, um, trying to beat the immortal Tyler Mail or Molly or whatever his name is. If they lose, I may very well need to take some Molly, um, so that could be uh, an issue. Um, but by the time you hear this, this game will be over, and unless I really hustle, and then you can listen to it while the game's going on, and everything that I would talk about would have already happened, so that would be dumb. So we're going to look ahead to the big series this weekend uh, with the Cardinals, um, and I'm going to talk about what I think the most likely scenario is for how this um, NL Central Championship and two wildcard spots works out, what I think is the second most likely, the third, and the least likely. Um, I've broken it all down very scientifically, so you're going to want to stick around for that. Uh, I also want to look back to the last time there was a Cub-Cardinals regular season series quite like this one. That would have been wrapped around the um, Labor Day weekend in 2003. They had to play five games in four days. And we'll talk about that. And then we're going to look at the uh, schedules remaining for the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Nats, and the Brewers and try to figure out um, how that's all going to shake out. So let's get to it. So... Coming up this weekend, the Cubs have four at home with the Cardinals. Then they're going to uh, go off and uh, use cash in their win coupons and get three in Pittsburgh and then, and then play the Cardinals again. But we'll look at the first four and look at the pitching matchup specifically because the way that the, uh, the Cubs starting staff is pitching right now, um, you, you can't imagine that the matchups could be all that favorable for the Cubs. The Cubs really have uh, two guys pitching well. You Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. John Lester's kind of a coin flip at this point. He doesn't nearly have the stuff that he used to, but he's still John Lester. So on occasions, that works. Although the problem with John is that he relies the most on his defense of any of these pitchers, and the Cubs tend to play the worst effing defense um, for him. And then you've got the other two lefties. You've got um, Jose Quintana, who for a while, was pitching really well. And it's like, all right, this is the guy that they traded for. This is great. He's been uh, pretty bad his last three starts. Um, and so that's not good. And then Cole Hamels, who quite frankly just is not healthy. Um, or if he is healthy, while he while his oblique was still bothering him, he somehow lost his release point, and um, he's going to need a flashlight and a map to find it, and he hasn't done that yet. So the the actual matchups for Game 1, the Cardinals send out their their best pitcher, Jack Flaherty, 
who is doing kind of a poor man's uh, 2015 Jake Arrieta impression uh, lately. Um, but you know, that wears off if you're not Jake Arrieta in 2015. And he goes up against Kyle Hendricks. So that one, while that's the Cardinals' best starter and it's one of the Cubs' two best starters, I think as with especially with how well Kyle pitches at home, I think that's kind of a push. Of course, the problem is the Cubs' offense has to actually hit Flaherty. I'm sure Kyle would rather pitch to the Cubs than the Cardinals right now. Um, game two is um, noted Cubs pitching machine Michael Waka uh, against. And you think, oh, that's a great matchup. We always the Cubs always light up Michael Waka. That'll be great. It's Jose Quintana. So uh, who knows there? I would Waka's. He sucks. Let's let's pretend that Q is going to get his shit together and give the Cubs a slight edge in that one. Uh, the ugly matchup for the Cubs is Game Three because it's the guy that I can never remember <laughs> who he is. Yeah, you know, I think I'll be talking to somebody and like, well, the Cardinals really only have two good starting pitchers. They have uh, Flaherty and um, the other guy with the weird name that I can't ever remember. Well, it's Dakota Hudson, and he gets Hamels in game three. So what you're really hoping is that Jose doesn't completely blow up in game two, leaving some bullpen for Cole, who's really going to need it. And Joe, he did it uh, two nights ago, and he's going to just have to keep doing it with Cole. He's got to treat Cole Hamels like Jason Hamill. And the first sign of trouble, figure that it's, he's not going to get out of it, and he's not going to get better at this point in the season, and go get him. That works fine if... Hendricks works fairly deep on Thursday night. Q goes, you know, hopefully six on uh, Friday. Then you can do that. But if if Jose has uh, flamed out in the second inning, uh, you're pretty well screwed. And then the uh, Sunday matchup is uh, Ned Flanders against you, Darvish. So we like that one. Miles Nicholas. Um, who's a little disorienting without the, he's, he's cut the that weird bouffant hairdo back quite a bit, but uh, he's still one of the biggest dorks ever. Uh, so it looks like uh, you could give the Cubs, uh, it's tough to give anybody an edge over Jack Flaherty in that first game, but so I think that's a push with Kyle pitching at home. I'm going to be just a big time homer and give Quintana, the slightest edge over Waka. Hudson gets the edge in game three, and you gets it in game four. So what it's setting up for is the potential for either a very good result for the Cubs, which is they win uh, three out of four. That would be great. Uh, they pick up two games on the Cardinals. Or it sets up a very good um, uh, scenario for the Cardinals, which is they split. That's all they have to do. And then the lead stays at two, although they do have to worry, I guess, about the the Brewers uh, coming up behind them. So I said I was going to take a look at what I think is the most likely scenario down to the least likely scenario for how this, how this all wraps out. And I still think, despite the fact that I hate them with all of my core, um, that because they're starting with a two-game advantage, I think the most likely result out of all this mess is that the Cardinals somehow hang on and win the NL Central. That leaves the two wildcard spots, and right now, given the fact that the Cubs are uh, playing a catcher at first base, a 60-year-old man at second base, a 12-year-old boy at shortstop, uh, DH is in right and left field, the right fielder in center field, and have a two-man pitching staff, 
despite the fact that I think the Brewers still suck. Um, I think it's most likely that not only do the Brewers get a wild card spot, they end up as ridiculous as that sounds with the the game being played at Miller Park. Um, I do think it's a coin flip though as to who they play, whether they play the Nationals or the Cubs, um, just because the Cubs pitching is going to have to prove that it's not going to be completely inept these last week and a half. Um, I'm actually going to give the Nationals the um, edge there. So as much as I don't like it, I think the most likely scenario is the Cubs don't make the playoffs. I think they'll make it close, but I don't think they will. But that's only the most likely of four, and I'm a moron. I get everything wrong, so that's probably good. I didn't I didn't pick against them on purpose so that they couldn't be a reverse jinx. Um, I think the second most likely one is that the Cardinals win the Central, the Brewers host the wild card, and the Cubs go to Miller Park to play them. And the Cubs should fear no Brewer in that game. Uh, they should have an excellent chance of winning that game and then going on to play the Dodgers and getting their heads bashed in. That is the prize for the wild card, is being swept by the Dodgers. But it's better to have gone to the NLDS and lost than to have not gone at all, I think. At least that's what the 2007 and 2008 Cubs always told us. Uh, third most likely scenario, I still think it's probably the Cardinals winning the division, but then I think it's the Cubs um, hosting the wild card. Um, I, I do think, I mean, obviously they had played... Although it's very difficult to tell how good you are when you're playing the Pirates, because it's basically like uh, putting a batting tee out there and hitting against it. Um, but you can't say they're limping to the finish line, at least not yet. They've done a nice job. So I can see them holding off Milwaukee. I As, as good a pitching as the uh, Nats throw out three out of four days, their schedule is uh, potentially, and we'll get to this in a second, is potentially the toughest. Um of the, what the teams have left. It's either them or the Cardinals who have the toughest schedule. Um, and given that they're the Nationals and their manager has been handling the stress so well that he had to have his heart rotor-rooted, um, I think there's um, a good chance that they just completely miss it altogether. And then the least likely scenario of the ones that I think are somewhat realistic actually has the the Brewers basically stumbling their way through God's gift of a final uh, stretch uh, schedule to them and somehow winning the National League Central so then they can go get swept by the Braves because <laughs> I think they are the one team out of this mess who uh, is going to do nothing, <clears throat> even if they play Atlanta instead of, uh, instead of the Dodgers. Uh, and then I, in that scenario, I think that the, uh, the Cubs pass the Nats and go to St. Louis. And uh, that would be fun if they would go down to Bush Stadium um, I guess they would actually just stay there, uh, play an extra day, uh, kick their ass, and knock them out of the playoffs, which would be fun. So, those are those are the scenarios. As I, uh, I beautiful minded it. You should see I have a wall. It's just like Charlie uh, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I just have scribblings all over the wall. Um, it's in ink and blood and God knows what other kind of bodily uh, output. And as I crunched all the numbers, that's what I came up with. So. Uh, so don't blame me <laughs> if it's it'll be it'll be a scenario that I did not pick. So uh, that's most likely how it's gonna gonna uh, come out. So this is the biggest Cubs Cardinal series since um, they interrupted the Jerry Lewis telethon, uh, which was on WGN. 
and they did actually interrupt it uh, <clears throat> on Labor Day of 2003 for the final game of this, of the, what ended up being a five-game series because of a, an earlier rainout. Um, and I, I remembered that it was huge. I, I needed to look it up to get to jog my mind of some of the particulars. Um, the Cubs went into that series a game and a half out. And then even on Sunday, they were still a game and a half out. And I couldn't figure out why. Well, then I remembered that they went into the series a game and a half behind the Cardinals, but also the Astros. Houston was also tied um, for first place with the Cardinals when the Cubs came in. So those three teams are only separated by a game and a half. So it's it's really kind of close to what we're experiencing right now, except it's a week and a half later, which makes, you know, if, if you screw up during this stretch, you're pretty well fucked. Um, so they came in a game and a half out of actually two teams, and the pitching matchups uh, I also thought were interesting. Uh, the uh, The first game would have been the um, solo game on Friday. And that was Woody Williams against Mark Pryor. And you think, well, now you look back and you're like, well, of course, Pryor had a huge advantage in that pitching matchup. And he had an advantage. There's no doubt about it. Even at, by that point, we knew um, that he was really good. Um, but Woody Williams came in 14-6. and six. Pryor came in 13-5. and five. Uh, but the game did play out, <laughs> as we would expect. Uh, Pryor didn't give up a run. The Cubs beat the Cardinals 7 and nothing in that first game. Uh, then they played a doubleheader uh, on Saturday. Um, and some crazy stuff happened um, in that doubleheader. The first game was uh, Carlos Zambrano for the Cubs against the Immortals. See if you remember this guy. Jason Simon Tachi. Um, and the Cubs won that game 4-2. to two And were set up for um, a potential uh, doubleheader sweep because the night game was Matt Morris. And we all remember what a... Alright, so it looked like the Cubs had a really good chance to then sweep that doubleheader because in the night game, they had um, Kerry Wood going up against Matt Morris. And I don't know if you remember... Uh, that was the year that Matt Morris, after all this series went down and the Cardinals started to fade, was openly rooting in the media for <laughs> the Astros to finish out of the Cubs. Uh, what a guy. Um, I think that was mostly because he hated Cub fans, so we honestly should probably wear that uh, with a badge of honor. Um, so anyway, this game, going into the bottom of the seventh, Morris was still pitching. The Cubs were down 2 nothing, And they got he got two quick outs. And when you hear the names, you're going to know why they were quick outs. <laughs> Tony Womack popped up to second base, and the great Gabor Paul Baco uh, popped out to center. So uh, Ramos Ramirez, who had gotten the second game off, pinch hit for Kerry Wood, and he walked. So there's two-out walk. Then Kenny Lofton. God, remember when the Cubs had a leadoff hitter? That was great. Of course, we can remember uh, three years ago when they had one, too. Um, Kenny Lofton got a single. So he's at first, Aramis is at second, and then uh, Mark Grudzalonic comes up. Morris hits him with a pitch. The genius, Tony La Russa, leaves him in to face Moises Alou. Moises hits a ball down the left field line, hits the line, scoots into the corner. This is where my memory fails. I don't remember if um, Grudzalonic 
came around to score or not, would have come around to score, because the umpire called it foul. It was fair. He called it foul. Moises threw a fit. It was kind of foreshadowing what would happen <laughs> down that line <clears throat> a couple of uh, about a month and a half later with him also throwing a fit about something completely different. Um, he worked the count full and then flew out to left. So the Cubs didn't score. So one of the weirdest things that happened is WGN goes to commercial. They come back, and we find out that Antonio Alfonseca has been thrown out of the game. And you're like, how did he get thrown out of the game? He's not in the game. Well, because the Cub bullpen was down the left field line during the changeover, <laughs> he went to chat with the ump, got a little animated, and bumped into him with that enormous belly of his and got himself tossed. Uh, Cardinals hung on and won that game 2 to nothing, even though uh, we know that they shouldn't have. So that set up the Sunday clash between future Cubs star, Dan Heron. Okay, maybe that star. Future Cub, Dan Heron, and Matt Clement. And that was a wild game where Clement didn't last very long. Uh, Jesus Sanchez? Is that right? Yes. Jesus, I'm talking to myself. Jesus Sanchez came in, gave up a grand slam. So the Cubs got down 6 to nothing relatively early. But Dan Heron could not hold the lead. The Cubs came back, tied it, and they won it late on a game-winning RBI single by Tony Womack. And if Tony Womack gets a big hit to win a game for you late in the season, that's a sign that you're going to do something because that should not happen. So then we have the Labor Day game, um, which is the worst pitching matchup for the Cubs on the of all, despite the fact that the Cardinals were pitching Brett Tomko, this was not the old Reds Rookie of the Year Brett Tomko. This was cheap, bad, old facsimile. Actually, not that old. Just cheap, bad facsimile Brett Tomko. But he was facing Sean Estes. <laughs> so there's not, you know, how, how much good is going to come of that? Um, another wild game. Cubs win it. Seven to six, so they win the games seven to nothing, four to two, lose two to nothing, and win eight seven and seven six. So a two run win and two one run wins mixed in there. And when they left, they were only a half game behind the Astros, and that um, race stayed ridiculously close the the rest of the way, which I kind of remembered, but not um, not exactly. The Cubs got took over first place for the first time. Um, late first time late in the season, um, the next Sunday after a win over the Brewers, uh, but then they dumped a couple in Montreal, and uh, were trailing by either a game, a game and a half, or two, all the way up until uh, Tuesday, September twenty third, when they finally um, <clears throat> they finally took the lead. They were up by a game, and then the next day is a game we all remember. That really was the one that we thought, holy shit. You know, this devil magic is occurring. Sean Estes shut out the Reds on the road, 8 nothing. Uh, kept the Cubs up by a game. Uh, they ended up, they pushed it to, um, um, well, they played the doubleheader then on that, on that Saturday, the last Saturday of the season, swept the doubleheader. Brewers beat the Astros, and the Cubs won it. So there's a very detailed history of the 2003 stretch run, which nobody asked for. Um, but it does show that even though this series is going to start um, on the what's wrong, on the 19th, and there's not a lot of season left, there's still a lot that can shift. 
so if the Cubs can get their shit together in these four games against the Cardinals, uh, good things can happen. And if they have a dead series, then um, the last week is going to be very anticlimactic, and it's going to suck. All right, so the last thing I want to cover here uh, before I bow out of this solo podcast is the schedules for the four contenders. I know that the the Phillies are kind of hanging out back there, but they're four back with three teams ahead of them. Uh, I guess only two for the second wild card spot. The Mets are right around there, so, but we're we're going to pretend like they're both out of it because I think they are. So the final stretch run schedules uh, from toughest to least tough. Um, I guess I said the Nats have the toughest schedule, but it, it's they've got three with Miami. So I think it disqualifies them from having the toughest. So the Cardinals have the toughest remaining schedule. They've got the four in Chicago starting tomorrow. Then they've got then they go to Arizona for three. Although the Diamondbacks, it looked a lot tougher when the Diamondbacks were winning nine out of ten and getting back in the race, and now the wheels have fallen off. Uh, and then they finish with three at home against the Cubs. So that's the toughest schedule anybody has. The second toughest then I think is the Nats. Um, after they get their gift trip down to Miami, they have to play five games in four days against uh, the Phillies. It's at home, but they still have to play five in four days. Uh, and then they go to Cleveland um, for three. And, you know, I who knows if the Indians um, will be playing for for anything or not when they go there. If they are, um, then that would then that makes it really tough games for the Nats, obviously. Um, I guess they're not going to Cleveland. The games are in D.C., but they have no tangible home field advantage. So um, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really matter right now. Obviously, the Indians, they're only a half game behind Tampa for that wild card spot. So unless the ass falls out of their pants here the last week, those will be big games. So the Nats um, have a pretty rough schedule. Then the Cubs obviously still have seven with the Cardinals, the four at home. But then they go to Pittsburgh and, you know, the. The Pirates, maybe they'll get a little bump now that they got the child molester out of the clubhouse, um, which is amazing that that's a thing you can actually say, and it's not a joke. Um, but Pittsburgh, for all intents and purposes, is, uh, has packed it in. They packed it in long, as we saw over the weekend when they gave up a 1,000 runs to the Cubs, and then the three with the Cardinals. So that leaves the easiest schedule to the Brewers, uh, including tonight they have two with the Padres, then they uh, they have their final three home games are against um, the Pirates, so they can pretty much name their score there. So those are three those are three wins for them. Um, th- it could be that their last road trip though is deceptively difficult, uh, except I don't like the fact that the two teams they're playing are completely out of everything. Um, they go to Cincinnati, who is over 500 at home, despite their less than Sterling record. And then they finish in Colorado with three and, um, the Rockies, I just say Colorado. I don't even know what that accent is, but the Rockies, um, also are for as terrible record as they have. They are above 500 at home, but that's not a tough schedule. Two at home with the Padres, three at home with the Pirates, three at Cincinnati, three at Colorado. And you can say, well, but they don't have Christian Yellick. It could be, Perhaps that what we're finding out here is that Christian Yellick was holding them back. <laughs> they have a much better record uh, without him than they did with him. Uh, although I guess I probably could have looked that up because um, <clears throat> he missed he's missed 
games before the season with his with his bad back. Um, but no, obviously it's a huge blow to them to not have by far their best player. But they're going to get very little sympathy from the Cubs, who are playing without two of their three best players. Uh, I think Chris Bryant's the Cubs' best player, Javi Baez is their second best player, and Anthony Rizzo is their third best player. Um, as long as the cortisone injection continues to work for Chris Bryant, that's great, because that has brought him back to the Chris Bryant that we missed for six weeks, which really, I think, kind of makes you wonder why the fuck he didn't get a cortisone injection six weeks ago, but, you know, I'm not a doctor. I just pretend that I don't play one on TV. Um, But you're playing without two of your best players, and it puts you at a tremendous disadvantage. So the Brewers are at a disadvantage, but they I'd rather be the, the Brewers with the disadvantage and the awful schedule than the Cubs with the disadvantage and the um, kind of difficult schedule. Um, so we'll see. One thing that I have, uh, I, what I wrote on Monday in my athletic column was, I think you can clearly look at this now and think, if they make, if the Cubs make it to the playoffs in any capacity, you know, it would be great. They're still in it for the division and either of the two wildcard spots. It would be awesome if they would win the division. That would be a real feather in the cap uh, here for Joe Madden. What is undeniably, I think at this point, his his final season here with the Cubs. But given the fact that they're doing it with very little, with very little starting pitching, two guys. Uh, a bullpen that the name brand guys are the least reliable ones that they have down there. So we're getting um, we're getting a lot of wick. <laughs> Thank God we have two of them, uh, and I don't know how long that's really going to last. Um, and you've got guys playing out of position. Like I said, you've got the 12-year-old shortstop, um, Nico Horner, who I'm just hoping can uh, channel all of his energies. He has so far channel all of his energies into a ridiculous stretch where he plays so far over his head that it's reminiscent of uh, 2005 uh, Nephi Perez. Um, maybe it would be, maybe he's Nefco. He's not Nephi, he's Nefco Horner. Um, but that's a huge thing to be running out of a, a rookie shortstop who thought he was going to be playing in the Arizona Fall League, and instead he's plunked down in the middle of a playoff race. So to me, the, the, the interesting thing about this is this is... As a fan, you can kind of kick back and go, all right, we probably shouldn't. Our, this team probably shouldn't get into the playoffs. But they're going to bust their ass trying to do it. And we should enjoy the fact that they have scratched and clawed their way. <clears throat> Actually, more like hung on. They weren't really climbing up. But they've they've hung on um, to try to keep themselves in this thing. And... I think the thing that keeps you from enjoying it is the fact that they may toss a playoff spot to the two teams that we least can tolerate them giving up playoff spots to, which would be the Cardinals and the Brewers. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, it's this is still the bunch of guys that we have enjoyed rooting for for the past, you know, at least five years. And, you know, this is the team we're going to be, you know, telling future generations of Cub fans about the ones who turned it all around. And so I'm not, I find it very difficult. I get mad at them in the moment when they screw things up. Like as I've been uh, doing this podcast, they have literally run into three outs on the bases in the first two innings, doing just some of the dumbest shit you've ever seen. 
um, they are committing mistakes of, uh, of aggression, which are better than the other kind, but you just don't make them. Um, but it's kind of where we are right now with this club. There's going to be big changes in the off season. Uh, we don't know what they're going to be. We don't know if they're solely going to be in the dugout. If, but I, we know we're going to see some on the field. We have no idea how much money that they actually are going to have to spend. Um, Crane Kenny was on the radio today, basically tamping down expectations. Yeah, this is this. You know, this is bad. Instead of being able to say yes, we finally have our our team owned. TV network, our cash cow, and now we can really spend it, spend that money. We can bring in, we can take a good roster, and we can make it tremendous, and we can make runs at the pennant for years to come. (laughs) He basically said, oh, no, we don't foresee um, not being able to maintain our current level of spending. (laughs) Like, no, that's, A, that's not you, you, you Saying that something is not foreseen doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Uh, that wasn't all that great. So uh, that's another thing, I think. One of the reasons why I just kind of want to savor these last, um, you know, 10 games after tonight is everything's going to be different after this. And the off season I think, is, is going to kind of suck. And I'm not really all that excited about getting to it. So like Sam and I talked last week, Sam and I and Kyle talked about, you know, if you if all you do is get, you play the wild card again for the second year when you lose, did you really do anything? Were you, ever, were you even really in the playoffs? And it's pretty clear that Sam doesn't think that you are. Um, I think that you are. I think as long as you give yourself a chance, you get in the tournament, yes, you may get bumped in the first round, but at least you were there. And it prolongs your um, your stay in the season by at least a day. I mean, I would love it to be, you know, an extra three and a half weeks. But this team's not going to do that. None of these teams that we just broke down has any shot at winning anything significant. Um, I don't know that any of them can win a round in the playoffs unless they somehow get paired off with them with another one of these four. They're not going to beat the Dodgers. I don't think the Braves are that great. I don't think any of those teams can beat the Braves. So what are they fighting for? Well, because that's what you do, and that's what this is. This is why you play the games. You're trying to get to the playoffs, and anything can happen. You can find some some weird-ass shit can happen in the playoffs, so just get there. So anyway, that was my attempt at a uh, at a solo podcast. The reason we had to have it is because uh, both Sam and Kyle are at the game tonight, and so they were unavailable, and we didn't want to try to attempt this during, because we would have recorded it during the first game of the Cardinal series, when it would have just been a lot of us starting to talk, stopping and swearing as things were happening, and they would be happening at different times, because Kyle would be watching it like on cable, so he'd be the he'd be ahead. I'm on the satellite dish, slightly behind, and then Sam. I don't know what kind of internet hookup he's got. There's there's squirrels and and spinning wheels involved, and he's usually like you know a minute and a half behind. So we didn't want to go through any of that. So uh, and then Mike is um, still <laughs> unavailable. <laughs> he's still on the wood prior list. Um, so next week we will get back and have our somewhat of our normal podcast formation in place. And so, and for those of you who who like this kind of thing, um, in a couple of hours I'm going to sit down and we're going to record the third Decipio Bears podcast with uh, Kyle Morris and Mike Donahue. So that will also be being pushed onto your feed here before too long. So anyway, um, big series with the Cardinals coming up. 
and as if the if it's always fun to kick their ass, and if that happens, it'll be amazing no matter where they end up in the standings, and it always really, really, really sucks to lose to them, and um, we don't want to see that happen. So uh, tune in same time next week, same podcast feed, and uh, I'll see you guys then. Thanks a lot.